G'day everybody, Matt Ellis with you for the latest edition of the Cricket Library podcast and today for something just a little bit different, we're going to have a chat with an accountant. Oh yes, there it is, there it is, turn, bounce, Ross Taylor juggles but takes it and straight away in his first over, Will Somerville has struck. Will Somerville. From days of having to take annual leave to play cricket, to putting on the baggy blue, and eventually representing New Zealand in test match cricket. A wonderful story of someone who rolled the dice and beat the odds to become one of the best in the business. Today we hear the Will Somerville story on the Cricket Library Podcast. And it's a very warm welcome to the Cricket Library podcast, Will Somerville. Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure, Matt. Nice to be chatting with you, Matt. Now, Will, you've had quite an incredible journey. You've lived in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, You've seen different parts of the world playing cricket. But for Will Somerville, where did your passion for cricket begin? When was the fire lit inside you for cricket? Uh, good question. I'd say, well, my earliest memory of really getting into cricket was at the 1992 World Cup um, in New Zealand, and I was in Wellington at the time. I was eight years old, and I just, I'd never forget watching Martin Crowbat and the Kiwis. We played really well that World Cup and made the semi-final and lost to Pakistan. And I'll never forget, in the mum basically knocked us out single-handedly and <laughs> In the two, there was back-to-back games against Pakistan, I think, from memory. And mm. he, kind of, he kind of had an unbeaten 100 or something. And so that Pakistan qualified to face us again in the semi-final and then he beat us again. I was just like, oh. I, I just remember his mum and not really appreciating what he did in those two games. <laughs> I mean, it was an amazing thing for Pakistan, but I was um, yeah, pretty glad it, as a young Kiwi boy sitting at home watching them. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, I do remember that, you know, and I played a lot of cricket at school and, and backyard cricket in Wellington growing up. It was one of, one of my best mates, Liam Crisp, um, I went to primary school with and he played Wellington A and didn't quite play for Wellington, um, when he was older, but he was a very good cricketer and we literally just, just to bowl and bat at, at, at each other and with each other for hours and hours on end. Um, yeah, that's very fond memories of Wellington and then. Moving to Australia as a nine-year-old, uh, cricket obviously being kind of more important in Australia in many ways because young was always, even at my young age of six, seven, eight, I was playing rugby and rugby was kind of a big deal. I suppose cricket was a lot of fun in the summer too. But yeah, I continued those things into Australia and um, yeah, basically grew up playing uh, club cricket for East uh, under 12, 14, 16 uh, in Sydney and. Learned yeah, a bit of rep cricket along the way and uh, yes, kept playing. I played with senior cricket at East until I was 19 yep. and then moved back to New Zealand to study for a few years and then was back in Sydney when I was 25. And then, yeah, and now I'm back in New Zealand. Like, my whole life has been just going back and forth. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty Australasian, I'd say. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now, you mentioned that 92 World Cup. One of the big revolutionary tactical ploys in that World Cup was... Deepak Patel bowling 
with the new ball. Mm. Now, as a youngster, had you discovered off-spin at that stage or were you kind of uh, like most kids trying everything? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was trying everything, but I was more of a batsman and I bowled sort of medium pace. I think I'd try and bowl out until I was about 14. So I didn't bowl off-season until I was 14 and then I took a few wickets in the 14 A's or something at school <laughs> and like, I started then I started bowling because I was, I was about time batting three so I just bowled a few offies and I was like oh I can actually do this and um, yeah it sort of evolved pretty quickly from there and I started getting picked as an off spinner when I was about 16, 17 in rep teams and, um, and things like that and then yeah it really took over I suppose and been bowling. Yeah, and your decision to come back to Australia. You mentioned you went and and you did some did some study, um, and you, you didn't have a contract mm. as such at the time uh, when you, you were playing uh, for Otago. I think it was back in two thousand and five when you made your debut. You play a couple of games over there. Can you tell us a bit about uh, your early memories of playing at that next level? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I debuted for Otago in 2005, March 2005 in Queenstown, um, which is my parents actually moved to Wanaka in 2002, which is about 50-minute drive, so it was very close for them to come and watch and stuff. Um, and it felt like going home in a way, um, in more ways than one, I suppose, with yeah. mum and dad just down the road. Um, and that was that was a pretty special debut, really. Um in hindsight, and Glenn Turner was the coach of Otago, and it was I think it was the last game of the season, and I was a 20-year-old. No, I was, nine, was 19, so, so long ago. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I was 20. Yeah, <laughs> 2005, I can do the math. Yeah, I was 20. <laughs> uh, and then so I, was quite, I was quite young, I suppose, for a spinner to be playing um, at that level. I was playing, played against Wellington, and Jeetan Patel was playing for Wellington, and Gillespie, um, Azura Bath. Yeah. Yeah, overseas. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean that 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 debut was very memorable. Um, it being at in Queenstown at that beautiful ground with the remarkable mountains looking over the ground. Um, yeah, was, I did. I counted over to like three for twenty six. I think in the first inning. Yeah, and one for fifty odd in the second. So was, I had quite a good start. Well, yeah, a great start to my Otago career. And then I sort of only played three games in the next four seasons or so. So I was there for five years, five seasons, played four first-class games, played all the Otago A stuff, tournaments in January in Lincoln, um, enjoyed that. And I was a student at the time as well, so I, I didn't really I didn't really know how to prepare for first-class cricket or look after myself that well until the back end of it, the last couple of years, the first three years, I was kind of just enjoying being a student and studying and being very social and yeah. setting up a life in New Zealand, I suppose, and meeting all these cool new people from around New Zealand at the university in the meeting. Um, had a great time. Yep. And, yeah, made lifelong friends there. Uh, but, yeah, so the cricket was – I was always, I always took it really seriously, but I, I didn't actually realise what I needed to do to be good enough uh, consistently at that level. And I, I think I, I played another three games after that debut – um, never really was impressed much, um, to be fair. I played one game against England in a New Zealand Invitational level. I remember that really well because I bowled quite well in that game. Steve Fleming was captain of that team. 
So I got to meet him. I was just like, you know, I was a bit in, a bit starstruck and meeting those guys in that team. I'll, I'll never forget that either. Yes, yeah, Stephen um, Fleming. And then I had master yeah, master tactician yeah. Stephen Fleming. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a great, lovely man too. He's a good guy. I've met him subsequently. Met him in the last couple of years and had a couple of good chats with him. Yeah, highly respected coach now as well, obviously. And that's no surprise really when you saw his captaincy and his cricket brain was always, has always been there. He's a smart guy. Yeah. yeah. And the move back to Australia was was part of that uh, your now wife was in Australia at the time. Was that part of the piece in the puzzle to get you back to Australia or, or was there, there lots of things going on around that decision? Yes, that, oh, that was a big driver for sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> being able to, to with being, uh, yeah, it was a big part of it. But yes, there's obviously Ellie, my wife, got two kids now. Um, we were together for the two years. The last two years, I finished my degree and I was in Dunedin for six months. And then we went to London together for two, so I went to England for two seasons over there playing cricket. And she worked as a nurse. Uh, at Chelsea Hospital and things in London. And, um, we had a good time travelling around a bit of Europe and did that sort of thing. It was unreal, brilliant time. And then it sort of came to the crunch at 2009. I was like, I didn't have a contract for Otago. And um, I didn't, I went over and trained in September in Dunedin for a whole month. Yep. Trying to go on the, cha- in the Champions League team. It was back when the Champions League was on. Oh, the ball, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I didn't get. I didn't get picked in that. Yeah, so that was really cool. I got paid to train for a month. Oh, and, how good. <laughs> and then I didn't get picked in that tour. Yeah, it was great. It was, or like, I was sort of a bit past being a student then, but it was great income for that time after being in England for six months. Um, so, yeah, had a, had a good month training and, yeah, got, actually got quite fit. And that was the first time I was, like, I was taking my gym a bit more seriously and getting myself a bit, a bit fitter and stronger. And then at the end of that, I wasn't picked, and I was like, "Well, what am I? What am I doing with my life and my cricket?" And I, I spoke to my dad and my my good mentor Phil Cook, um, and Peter Lovett in Sydney, who's uh, now East Vice President, but he's sort of been looked after me since I was a kid, basically at East and things, and had a long chat with him about possibility to go to East and playing first first grade cricket, playing a really good standard of cricket every weekend, and yeah. that was a big draw card for me as well. Because the A tournaments for Otago, they'd go for two weeks in January, and then you ba- I basically play like maybe I play one game for Otago, and then I'll talk down a lot and then play cob cricket on AstroTurf and on wet wickets, and it just wasn't a lot of cricket at a good standard. So um, it, was, it was still a lot of fun, and I was doing what I could. But the opportunity, I was like, right, if I can go to New South Wales, I can go to Sydney, play some good first grade cricket, keep getting better and learning my cricket. My cricket kept improving. I thought, well, if I can make it for New South Wales, I can make it anywhere almost. It sort of felt like, you know, being a kid in Sydney growing up was such a hard team to get into. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my goal. And obviously it took five years of first grade and plugging away and uh, continuing to try and improve and break into that team. But um, then the opportunity came along, which was... Pretty awesome, really. Yeah. Yeah, and managing working as an accountant, uh, playing club cricket, 
and trying to be on top of your things like your fitness like you talked about obviously needs a lot of discipline and um, self-drive. Have you, have you always found you're a fairly driven individual to, to try and get the best out of yourself? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially once I realised what I wanted to do and wanted to take the cricket a bit more seriously, actually. You know, I always thought I had some, some skills, especially with my bowling, um, that was quite unique with my height and, you know, good batsmen like Vivian Blacksman and guys that I bowled to the net at the need. And, you know, they were always really complimentary um, of my skills. And that kind of filled me with a bit of belief when you get that evidence from batsmen, yeah. even if it's in the net. Like, you know, especially someone like, I mean, that's a very memorable time talking to Vivian Blacksman about spin bowling and like how he was, you know, he was quite impressed I suppose with my I was 23 at the time following to him as he was playing for a target um, that was really cool and stuff like that that gives you a little sort of you write those things down and yeah. you remember it and certainly to build that evidence base of, of stuff for me that you know filled me with a lot of belief and um, you know you can get carded around some days but you just got to keep trusting what you're doing and knowing that you're trying to get better and drive yourself forward definitely and uh, in terms of um, the training, the fitness, when I was I moved to Sydney University, had a couple of years at East when I came back to Sydney, and then I moved to Sydney Uni, and I was working in the city. And Greg Mayo and Mark Faraday, um, and Theobald, Tom Kirith, they all worked in the city, so I spent a lot of time with them. But most uh, a lot of time training in the morning, like we'd go early five thirty six in the morning, mainly, and Mark Faraday, uh, and we'd do do fitness like couple of times a week and uh, I suppose having that you know Craig Mayer was one of the great men of New South Wales cricket and certainly highly respected amongst everybody uh, in the cricketing world and the guy that I looked up to and still do as a, as a, as a man and uh, um, he's you know helped me a lot in that over that period of five years that I had there and um, then there was Nick Larkin coming along as well a young guy and he's now had a great career with New South Wales yeah boss's office and uh, just saying, excuse me, please, um, can I have four days off for a first-class cricket game? That must be a pretty good feeling. Yeah, it felt pretty amazing, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd already so I'd played, I'd played one second eleven game and I'd, so I'd had to leave for that um, for four days. I think it might have been three days because it was over the weekend or Sunday or something. Yeah. But I had to leave for that the week before and then played on the weekend and then they picked, you know, I was going to Melbourne on the Monday or something. 
Well, and yeah, so it was pretty cool saying, oh, sorry, I'm going. <laughs> was, yeah. I had, to, I had to like tread carefully, but I was like, I don't really care what you say, but I'm going. <laughs> um, but I had, a, I had a very good understanding boss, um, and he was very supportive, actually. And David Robinson, not a good man, so I was lucky in that respect. And yeah, I was, I was, I was always very upfront with my, I had a couple of bosses in my jobs and I always said like I'm trying to play cricket at a high level I need to train three days a week I'm leaving early I'll come in early and leave early so I was always clear about that and then so they knew it was a focus for me I was pretty supportive which was good yeah yeah that's great and then tell us about actually getting the call up for that I think it was yeah you had to play three games and once you'd played your third game you were elevated to a full full-time contract mm. with the Blues. I think Nathan Lyon, might have been Nathan Lyon was um, going to become a father, I think, um, from memory. Can you tell us about that experience yep. of, of finding finding out the news? Yeah, sure. I mean, that was pretty um, that was pretty exciting and emotional as well. And having been trying to kind of get my first contract since I was about 19. Um, and then, yeah, Nathan had his second daughter, and was going to miss that third game against Queensland at the SCG. Um, and it was just after Phil Hughes had been hit as well, the game, oh, the, wow. the next game at the SCG after that incident. So there was a lot had happened in the two weeks yeah. you know, leading up to that point. Um, and then Nathan didn't play. And there were guys that you know were considering not playing as well because it was a bloody bizarre time, obviously. And yeah. Yeah, that, that whole game was... Highly emotional getting stepping out onto the field with um, all the whole team. It was, uh, yeah, it was very sad sort of first session, but yeah, we all decided that we needed to get on with the cricket and um, memory of Phil and yeah, get on with the the game that he loved and we loved as as well. So, but yeah, that was the that was my third game, and then uh, I was upgraded to a contract. uh, from there, and it was, yes, I was basically just couldn't believe my luck in a way, and was in tears in the car park, tears of joy at the end of that, realizing I was I could resign from my job and I was going to you know take it on properly and be a full time cricketer. Really yeah. awesome, yeah. Yeah, no more annual leave requests mm-hmm. forms to fill in. Yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it, uh, magnificent um, that you were able to manage, I think, manage the full-time work and still have enough passion and dedication to take your cricket to that next level. And you have some successful years at New South Wales. I, I, I think probably uh, the one that stood out for me was 16-17, uh, uh, 35 wickets for the season mm. and really starting to come into your own at New South Wales, um, any anything yeah. that you noticed um, that you were able to improve by becoming a full time professional cricketer? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I think probably well, the first thing was getting involved in more four day cricket and understanding how I needed to prepare for those games. Um, and yeah, I certainly got fitter and stronger. Um, those first two pre-seasons were really huge for my whole body shape sort of changed a bit and got stronger and fitter which was the first step I suppose but um, then the bowling wise I was bowling in the nets 
a lot more and doing, you know, I was getting a lot more volume with my bowling, um, which meant that I could work on more things and variations of um, working out batsmen in the net um, when we do our competitive nets and things. And, and you're bowling to such good players as well as bowling to, you know, a lot of a, a lot of the test guys. Like, you yeah. bowl a little bit to Warner, tiny bit with Steve Smith whenever they were around. Um, and then also bowling with Nathan and Stephen O'Keefe in the net. Like we bowl in the same net and I'll just talk to them about things. And, um, yeah, I started shaking the ball away from the right hand a bit more as well. Just I think because I was getting through my action a bit more because I was a bit stronger and I was bowling more and all that sort of stuff. Um, so I started quitting and yeah, it was, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of improvements, I think. Um, I mean, it's a huge advantage being able to, like I'd, I'd do a couple of nets a week when I was playing club cricket. Um, then you do the fitness stuff, but you're, you're basically just going into games off the back of like bowling the next for an hour in the week, whereas preparing for first class cricket, you've got a whole winter of bowling a whole bunch and getting yourself really conditioned to, to bowl. Um, yeah. That's the big difference, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and you get a chance to play some big bash as well with the Sixers. Was that a bit of a surprise? Yeah, it was a bit, absolutely. Yeah, I did. Um, I sort of, re- I really wanted to play the Big Bash and was pretty excited to get the opportunity, but I didn't necessarily. Yeah, it was, it was a bit of a surprise. But I suppose once you're in the in your train full time and I was bowling the next Sixers, you know, I could I realised I could match it with these guys if, you know, if I was bowling at my best. And, uh, yeah, it was bloody cool being involved with that. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed that. But I think I debuted in Perth, which yeah. was more places. I was like, I was going to, I was going to Perth, so I was no way I'm going to play in Perth. Like, it was an Austin of graveyard. <laughs> yeah, no chance. And then I get Shippy. Shippy tells me in the morning of the game, oh, you're in, where are you going to play? And I'm like, okay, cool. So, so I've never played under lights before. And oh, I'm wow. Perth, but I'm the bounciest wicket in Australia. So now, was that, that pretty cool. Was that the game you, <laughs> yeah. you took a catch? You get a catch in that no, game? No, that was no, that was that was at Adelaide Oval. Ah, yep, yep. In front of the packed out. You saved it. Saved it for the big one. Off Stabber. Stabber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to do it in Perth with eighteen thousand people around. Wait till it was fifty thousand. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, so Osman Stabber that was five far. Um, but we still lost. I mean Oh yeah, was, we, yeah in Adelaide. Was that the Travis Head, Travis Head game? Head. Yeah. Oh, oh no, that was no, that was the year before with the Travis Head game. Oh, okay. So that game we actually we just, we restricted them to one forty and then we were bowled out for like ten. But the year before I was there carrying drinks with the Travis Head game and I was on the bound on the running around the rope handing out drinks and like we thought the game was over and then Head just won it with like five balls there. Yeah. He made it look, I think they yeah. fifty off three overs or something. Yeah, they got it with five balls there. Yeah. yeah, incredible stuff. <laughs> and and that's the kind of the well, kind of thing yeah. that happens in the big bash, isn't it? You have those kind of moments which you just stick in your mind mm. of of players changing a game and uh, players executing skills that previously we haven't seen before and and taking their game to another level. And that that's what I've really enjoyed about watching. The big bash is seeing how players have evolved and developed and and changed. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. I mean, it's all about adapting to the format, isn't it? Yeah, some guys are pretty brutal and unbelievable at it. Yeah, other guys are a bit more innovative. And um, I think playing in Australia, there's a lot of the batsmen that just play good cricket shots do very well as well because the, the, the bouncy and you've got a good technique, you'll be okay. But yeah. Also, the guys that whack it out of the park and have their days too. You know, it's, that's the view of 2020, isn't it? That's what people love about it. Hey, Peter, are you enjoying the podcast? Yeah, I am. Who do you think Will's going to pick in the nets to have? I don't know. Let's keep listening and find out. Now, you come to a point where, you, where you're at New South Wales and uh, the opportunity comes to go back to New Zealand. Can you take us through the decision-making process there and um, – just, just how how that that move kind of set you up to play Test cricket. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, basically, I was thirty three, so I had four seasons at New South Wales, and I played twelve games. So I had that one season in sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, where I t- I took thirty five wickets, had a really good summer, um, and we just missed out on the Shield final on the last day. Adam Bogues' last match and we we lost by three runs or something and if we'd won we would have been in the final but wasn't to be um, so I didn't I never played a, haven't played a Shield final yeah. <laughs> unfortunately but that was a great season and loved it and then the next year I played one first class game um, I did captain second eleven and really enjoyed that um, but played a lot of second eleven cricket played pretty much all those games and, um, yeah still obviously loving my cricket but I was quite frustrated um yeah, yeah. It's just sort of the fact that I didn't, didn't play much, um, and thought that I, there was opportunity where I could have played much, but um, it's just the way it, it went for me. So, um, and I thought about it. I was like, well, what am I going to do now? I'm 33. I've played one game this year. What? Where's the Where's the next opportunity? Or like, do I want to go back to New Zealand and give it one more crack? Because that's where I grew up and sort of you know, where I I dreamt of playing Test cricket for the back house and playing cricket for the girls. So I had a, obviously a long cut to early in my life and my family and things. And, um, we had two we had two kids. So Zoe was Zoe was like five months old. When we were talking oh, about wow. this decision. So, uh, it was quite a big move. So yeah, <laughs> we ended up moving over in September. She was born September, so she, yeah, she was like ten months old when we arrived in Auckland. Yeah, I basically contacted um, Bruce Edgar, who was coaching Wellington, yep. the Firebirds, and. I knew, knew him through well, my Wellington days, but he gave me my first cricket bat as a youngster. Wow. Um, so I rang him and said, what's going on in New Zealand cricket? Like, he was Wellington head coach. He was, oh, well, we've got Dean Patel down there, so obviously not here. We just went through the provinces and Auckland appeared to have the best opportunity. Um, it was sort of Auckland and we had a look at in Northern Districts as well, but they obviously had Sodi and Santner. Yeah. So it was like, oh, you know, there's, there's a few spinners around the country, but Auckland, Tarrant, the baller was had just retired from four-day cricket. He's a leggy. He's played, played a lot for Auckland over the last um, many years. So um, he was basically retired from four-day cricket. And I was like, well, I'll speak to the coach there. I'll speak to Mark O'Donnell. And, um, I met up with him in May and had a coffee. And said, look, I'm interested in putting my hat in the ring for a contract. And then, so he was, you know, I explained my situation. Yeah, it sort of just evolved from there. It happened really quickly. In June, back by June, I'd um, been ranked for Auckland 
through the contracting process here. And yeah, I was, I was heading over to start the contract one September. Um, and yeah, I still trained a bit that, that winter in Sydney. I went bold with the blues a little bit on and off um, yeah. in preparation for heading to New Zealand. Yeah, it was, yeah. And then I think it was only, what was it, November or the end of October, I played two games for Auckland, two four day games for Auckland, and then four one days. And, and then was, they rang me up and I was going to the UAE to, with the Black Caps to prepare to play against Pakistan. I was like, what the hell? <laughs> I, pretty quick. I, I mean, I'd looked at the schedule and I knew there was a tour against Pakistan and the UAE. I was like, oh, they'll probably need to spinners there. Yeah, okay. but, yeah. But then I was like, oh, it's too early. I would have only played two games. And I, I knew the next year there was the Sri Lanka tour, which was August last year. Yeah. So I had kind of my eyes on, but maybe I'm a chance for that Sri Lanka tour. If not, there's Bangladesh this August, which is 2020. So yeah. I sort of. I was like, oh, yeah, so there could be a spot, you never know. And, you know, obviously it happened within two or three months. I was just, yeah, I was, I was over the moon. And, yeah. Um, it kind of justified the move, I suppose. And, yeah, it really got me pretty excited. Oh, it's been an absolute dream, really, yeah. And and putting on that, still pinch myself sometimes, you know. Yeah, like it's incredible. Put putting on that cap for the first time for New Zealand, all of the sacrifice, all of the uh, annual leave forms, all, all of the early morning runs, all, all, all of the preparation that goes in to that one moment, and then you win the Test match in the UAE. Like there, there just has to be an incredible overflow of. Um, of joy, I guess, to 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 be living out something that you'd you'd hoped for for so long. Mm, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Absolute joy is, is the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, uh, it was incredible. Uh, yeah, we sort of just hang in the test match. Like we never we never really got on top of them until the end of or midway through day four when Nichols and Kane put on that partnership and. And then we, and then they kept just kept batting until the end of the day, and we had a lead, and then we batted again the next day for another hour. Or so, and then we had, I don't know, I can't remember how much lead we had, maybe two hundred and something. It wasn't massive, but there was only like two and a bit sessions left. Yeah. And yeah, and then it all happened before lunch on day five, <laughs> <laughs> like that. We we had five wickets. I think they were five for fifty at lunch or something. And we were like, shit, was yeah. And that's when. Yeah, you just put the foot on a throat and, yeah, we, we bowled really, really well on that last day and things went our way. And yeah, I ended up with three wickets in that fifth, the fourth innings. I had four in the first after being, oh, I think I was done for 60 or something. Yeah. Ended up with four for 70 hours. Yeah. I just sort of hung in there and hung in there. <laughs> As you do, that's the cricket and four-day cricket that you learn to play. You just got to yeah, hang in there and play the long game. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a very memorable test, and yeah, I've watched the highlights a couple of times since. To be honest, I bloody love it. Yeah, rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be, I'd be having yeah. it on repeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's cool. And and then and then mm. to come back uh, January this year and find yourself at the Sydney Cricket Ground playing yeah. a test match at the SCG. Yeah. Talk us through that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, 
yeah, that was just going full circle again on my life, I suppose. Um, yeah, that was that was amazing, really. Uh, yeah, just when the anthem came on, I was just like bawling with tears in the lineup. Yeah, but looking, seeing my family arrive and stuff as that was on, just in front of the members, the ladies' band. Yeah, just, uh, that was incredible. <laughs> yeah, still, that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll never ever ever forget that's for sure. Um, all those, yeah, I had memories of, well, one of my memories as an 18 year old, I was 12th man for first grade on a Sunday, so I went down. They asked me to go and run the drinks basically for the Blues, and it was like the War Brothers were playing and stuff, and Nathan Brassel. Um, yeah, that was that was very, you know, I went into that change room, I was like, well, this place is pretty incredible. And, yeah. And then Nathan Brassel went, like, lent me a shirt and, and, and whatever and say, oh you got to give that back to me you got to earn that and I thought oh yeah, yeah that's right then I was pretty like the old school values and things which was um, yeah pretty cool for an 18 year old private school boy to see and it was yeah. bloody good yeah and, yeah something that stuck with me as well you know yeah, yeah, no, incredible. And having you mentioned having your family and friends there for the occasion, making it extra special. The result not going the way you would have wanted, but certainly, uh, mm. did did you ever picture yourself playing a test match on the SCG? Yeah, I had. Yeah, yeah, very good. <laughs> yeah, I had actually. That's so cool. Yeah, visualised that, which is yeah, because I've been I've been to so many tests there. Well, yeah. as a kid growing up, I'd go every year with Dad. Yeah, um, I went just about every year on Sydney, I reckon. Just to at least one day, you go and have a beer in the members. Or yeah. Um, someone would get you in there. I, was, I, was, I haven't been a member. I'm not a member yet, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day. Um, but, yeah, I'm getting there and, you know, yeah, just have a good time watching a bit of cricket. Yeah. And now your family's set up um, in Auckland. Is that right? Yeah, we're in Auckland. Yeah, that's right. We've moved here. We sort of, we've bought a house here last September, so we're pretty fixed here. And I've, yeah, I've got another contract. The contracts you don't, they only do one year contracts here. So okay. every year you hope that you're going to get ranked. And yeah, so I'm, I'm signing with Auckland that starts in September. I've got, there's three black cats training camps coming up in Tauranga. Yep. Um, so we're, you know, all going, everything's going ahead here domestically and it's just they're trying to work out the international schedule, which is obviously a little bit in disarray. Like we're supposed to be in Bangladesh in August. So that's, I had surgery on my ankle, but basically straight after that Sydney test. Yep. So I've been recovering from that and um, I was hoping to be going to Bangladesh, but that's obviously been postponed. That was, that was going to be in August. But, um, so hopefully that'll get rescheduled in Bangladesh at some point, but. Yeah, who knows what's going to happen really. It's all a bit up in the air, I suppose. Yeah, a lot of things up in the air at the moment. Um, and the recovery's going well on the ankle. You're feeling strong and ready to go? Yeah, yeah it's really good, yeah. Yeah, I had a stress fracture. Got, got a couple of screws put in. So oh, the first major injury I've had. But, um, yeah, but I've, I'm back bowling and running and I'm just full board now. So getting ready for the coming summer. It's probably, yeah, I won't know. Probably won't be doing, wouldn't be doing as much as I would be if we were going to Bangladesh. But if that tour was on, but yeah, we'll just um, get ready for the domestic season in October. So it's a wee way off still, but yeah, lots to look forward to. 
Yeah, yeah, sounds sounds like it. And we wrap mm. thing we wrap things up ev- every episode. And I, I hope I've given you enough time to think about this. Will um, the biggest yeah. question? It's it's yeah. the hardest hitting question in cricket podcast going around. If if you could orchestrate a dream net now, by the sounds of things, you you've already lived out a few dream nets. I mean. VVS Laxman sounds <laughs> yeah, pretty cool yeah. to me. Um, but if you if yeah. you could if you could orchestrate one, three people who who are the top three people on Will Somerville's speed dial to to come down to the nets and 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 have a hit. Oh, that's, yeah, it's quite a tough question, but I'm, I'll have to go with um, probably first is Michael Jordan. Purely, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a popular choice at the moment after the last dance. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a massive fan of his, and seeing how competitive he is in in basketball, in golf, in everything that he does, um, I imagine he'd be a bloody interesting guy to um, have a net with. Although he might be, but his body might be not quite there. I'm not sure, um, but he's a pretty good athlete. So I'd put Michael Jordan down as one. Um, Jeez, I'm a bit lost. I, I, I'm going to say John Alonso is next. Oh, Jonah. yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. know if he's ever played cricket, but a uh, big fan of Jonah growing up. Um, and, yeah, rest in peace, the big man. Um, yeah. Yes, he was one of the guys that sort of revolutionised the game of rugby uh, around the world, really. Uh, he was inspiring life, you know, with his, his illness and battling that and things. So, uh, James on two. Uh, and the third one, what do I say? I now, highest, your highest. I say Mo Matthews. Oh, yeah. Greg Mo Matthews. I was yeah, going to say Greg Matthews. And I've 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 had nets with Mo, and it's like it's a bit of a it's it's a bloody good time, really. <laughs> Got a million ideas, and his cricket brain, but his cricket brain is incredible, and his knowledge of the game is second to none, and particularly with offspin bowling, like he's given me a few little gems throughout my career and I've had a few nets with him. And to have him there with, yeah, say Michael Jordan, Joe Longman, it would be a pretty good conversation, no doubt. Oh, I think wherever Greg Matthews is, there'd be some good conversation. Um, he, he's a very yeah, lateral thinker, absolutely. Greg Matthews, and I, I reckon he'd get, the, he'd get yeah. some insights out of MJ as well. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, well, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you, Will. I, I appreciate you giving our listeners uh, so much of your time for the Cricket Library podcast. Uh, a wonderful story. I, I, I could talk to you for days, I reckon, about cricket, but um, what you've shared with us here is is just magnificent and wish you all the best um, post-COVID. Hopefully uh, you can find yourself um, back in the whites and on, on the field for New Zealand again as soon as we're, we're, we're back playing cricket. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, that's the plan at the moment, mate. Appreciate your time. Thank you. A massive thanks to Will Somerville for joining us on the Cricket Library podcast. Wasn't that a great story? That warms my heart to hear the Will Somerville story and get to hear some of his insights about what it was like being the accountant, putting in for your annual leave and just hoping one day 
you get the chance to become full-time professionally. He got to do that at New South Wales. And then he took the gamble, went back to New Zealand and gave himself every opportunity of playing test cricket. And he has achieved that and hopefully plenty more test cricket left for Will Somerville, that's for sure. And a massive thanks to you, our listeners. We really do appreciate you tuning in to each and every episode. It's been a big year. It's 12 months uh, since we sort of did a refresh on, on the Cricket Library podcast. We've had some wonderful guests over that time. I'd encourage you to go back and check the back catalogue and catch up on some of those. Until we meet again, this has been Matt Ellis for the Cricket Library podcast. Thanks for tuning in. It's bye for now.